Welcome to the podcast filled with his love, the only podcast that draws upon both religion and psychology to help you strengthen your attachment relationships. Here's your host, Dr. Russ Osgothorpe, Emeritus Professor of Instructional Psychology and Technology, author and speaker. His latest book entitled Filled with His Love, Strengthening Our Attachment to God and to Others is available on Amazon now. Every day we engage in conversation, and the quality of those conversations, well, that determines to a large extent the quality of our relationships. We have conversations with God through prayer. We have conversations with others at work, at home, everywhere we actually live, and conversations with ourselves, these kind of self-talk moments we have. We can likely agree that our main purpose in coming to this earth is to learn. We can also likely agree that the most important type of learning we will experience is learning to love God and each other as ourselves, those two great commandments. So how does all of this learning occur? A large portion of it, and I mean a really large portion of it, will occur in conversation. We converse every day with God in prayer. We converse every day with ourselves in self-talk. And we converse every day with others in verbal exchange. So how do we measure the quality of those conversations? Because if we can increase the quality of our interactions, I am convinced that we will increase the depth of our attachment relationships. I have a friend who is internationally recognized as an expert in learning and teaching. And how does he characterize those acts of learning and teaching? Well, as conversational acts. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail here, but there is something called conversation theory. This is a scientific theory that explains how interactions lead to, quote, construction of knowledge, quote. If we bring it down to everyday life, I'm sure you can think of a conversation you had even recently where you learned something new as a result of your interaction. The person you were talking to knew something you did not know, and you may have known something that the other person did not know. So you may have both learned something. You may have both constructed knowledge. When I was learning Spanish several years ago, I had to take some clothes to the dry cleaner. The man who helped me was Latino, so I asked him if he would listen to me as I recited a Spanish quotation I was trying to memorize. He actually gladly agreed. He looked eager to do it. I began reciting the passage, and he listened. Then he gave a few helpful corrections. Then we had a very fun conversation. He said, well, that's fine for you, but Spanish is easy to pronounce. It's English that's so hard. And I said, well, Spanish is easy if, you're in, if it's your native tongue. <laughs> if you're from Mexico or Guatemala... He told me how he had immigrated with his family from Guatemala and how he started his business as a dry cleaner. Then he took my clothes to be cleaned, and I departed. That good man at the dry cleaners, we had a conversation, a simple, unexpected interaction. Before opening the door, I did not know that I would meet someone who could tutor me in Spanish. That's the beauty of learning through conversation. He was the knower and I was the learner. He knew much more about Spanish than I did, but I also knew a little more about English than he did. So we learned from each other. 
We helped build our own knowledge, just as the scientific theory of conversation says we should. It's all about knowledge construction. But conversations can do more than help us learn another language. They can literally change our lives. When I was 20 years old, I sat on the bow of a boat, bouncing over the waves on its way from Papete Tahiti to the idyllic volcanic island of Moorea. If you've never been to Tahiti or Moorea, I highly recommend it. Seated on the bow next to me was my mission president, Carl Richards. The voyage wasn't long, but the conversation was unhurried. He spoke to me as a friend, but also like a parent, as if he knew what he was telling me would affect my future somehow. He told of his service in France and the American Embassy, of how he did legal work for the Pan American Highway that would take decades to complete, and how he became legal counsel for General Motors. As I listened, his accomplishments, they just kind of astounded me. He seemed to say he did this for about 20 years, and then he did that for about 20 years, and yet something else again for about 20 years. I thought, well, how many 20-year stints could he have completed? I don't remember saying too much in this conversation with my mission president. I just kept asking questions, and he kept giving me such surprising, amazing answers. After we arrived in Moorea, I kept reflecting on the conversation. I had always wanted to graduate from college, but my educational goals never went any further than that. The brief conversation on the bow of that boat made me want to do more. It caused me to raise my sights, to set my goals a little higher. That conversation changed my life. My conversation with my mission president was an interaction between two people who cared for each other. I loved the man and I could sense that he had a love for me as well. Without love, conversations can turn into debates, arguments, or sometimes even verbal brawls. With love, the conversation can lead to learning and new thoughts that can change your life. Here's the interesting part, and I hadn't thought of this until just now. Reflections on a good conversation, like the one I had with my mission president, can be a sacred experience. I kept thinking back on what he had said, and as I reflected on his life story, I felt heaven come a little closer. My conversation with another person later became a conversation with the Lord, as I prayed to know what implications the conversation would have on my future goals. Some conversations have literally changed the course of human history. Mahatma Gandhi, for example, once had a conversation with several other Indian leaders that led to the movement that freed the entire country of India from British rule. Throughout his life, Gandhi relied on conversation rather than on guns to help people rid themselves of prejudice. So good conversations can happen between two people or with God. But we also have conversations with ourselves. We call it self-talk. We all do it, even unknowingly. It's like the brain never stops. Neuroscientists who study consciousness have documented how the brain literally never stops. Thoughts keep whirling around, and once in a while we catch one and dwell on it. The question is, 
do we catch hold of a negative self-critical thought or do we catch a positive self-respecting thought? Unfortunately, neuroscientists have also found that we are much more likely to be self-critical than we are to be self-congratulatory. When we make a mistake, we say things to ourselves like, I can't believe I just did that, or even much worse. We all learn the importance of not blaming others, but we often blame ourselves for anything that goes wrong. Negative self-talk. It happens all the time, and it's basically, I believe, a curse. Here's what one study in neuroscience concluded. Quote, Overall, self-criticism produces more noticeable negative changes in the brain than the positive changes of self-respect. So what they're saying is that the damage negative self-talk does is greater than the benefits that come from positive self-talk. So all the more reason to avoid negative self-talk. Undoing the damage of negative self-talk is no easy task because we all do it and we do it quite frequently, most of us all the more reason to avoid this thing like the plague and replace it with constructive, good conversation with ourselves. Positive self-talk. President Russell M. Nelson is a master of the good conversation. One of my first assignments as an Area 70 was to accompany him to a state conference where a new state president would be called. He was serving as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve at the time. We had short conversations with a number of leaders in the stake so that we could become better acquainted with them. When someone had served in a Spanish-speaking mission, he would speak a little Spanish with them. If their brother had served in Italy, he would speak a little Italian with him. When he saw their last name, he would often ask them if they were related to so-and-so. Then the brother might say, Oh, that's my grandmother, or, Oh, she's my great-aunt. He seemed to know something or someone related to everyone. After we had settled on the new stake president, we had about an hour before the next meeting was to begin. I spent the time, understandably, reviewing the talk I was going to give. It was my first time accompanying a member of the Twelve to a state conference, and I was probably a little bit nervous. But then when I looked over at President Nelson, he was going through the bio sheets that we had on each of the leaders we had just interviewed. I think there were about 25 of them. So he would shuffle through them, study each one, one by one. He reviewed each sheet, looking at the attached picture, the name, the information about the person, etc., which we had already looked at before. So I wondered why he was looking at them again. When it came his turn to address the audience in the next meeting... President Nelson would ask a question, look at those who were raising their hands, and then call one by name. Bishop Jacobson, he would say, could you respond to that question? One of the brothers stood and said, President Nelson, I can't believe you could remember my name. One after another, he called them by name, these 25 church leaders that we had just met and that we had only known for five minutes each. All of that time prior to the meeting, what was he doing? He was memorizing their names. When I've described this experience to others, they say, well, President Nelson has a gift with names, as if it didn't take him much effort to do that. But I want you to think about it for a moment. 
Almost any of us could memorize 25 names in an hour. Here's the clincher. Almost none of us would think to try to do that. For me, that was the lesson I learned that day at the feet of a prophet. Care enough about others to call them by name. Care enough to connect. Care enough to find something you have in common with them. I will never forget those lessons. And it all began out of good conversation, watching a prophet of God interact with people he had never met before in a way that made them feel comfortable, accepted, included, and loved. So, as you're commuting or doing the laundry or working in the yard or whatever you might be doing while you're listening to this podcast, I hope you'll catch hold of a few of those thoughts whirling around in your brain, the good ones, not the negative ones, and ask yourself, how can you have more good conversations with your spouse, your friends, with God, uplifting interactions that will help you draw closer to the Lord and to others. Thank you.